Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is episode 258 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined by the whole gang again. Uh, we were off, took a week off last week to kind of compose ourselves and uh, maybe do this season post-mortem, maybe with uh, clear minds and, and less emotion. But uh, hey, the San Diego Padres are in the NLCS, so um, that's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way. And then... Paul, the, at least the Packers are maybe helping people forget about the trash fire that was the Brewers season. Yeah, they're uh, turning into quickly becoming a much bigger trash fire. And I have to confess, I haven't seen the second half of today's game yet because um, I, had, worth it. I had youth. I have to. I have no choice. Uh, I have to torture myself <laughs> with it. I had youth, youth sports, and then I took my kids to see a, uh, a a play version of Murder on the Orient Express. Ooh, that was. Way, way, way better than watching the second half of the Packer game, um, without mm-hmm. question. How would I recommend you do that instead of watching any Packer games, really? Um, so I forward. have to ask: Did the quit? Did the kids know the twist coming in? My uh, son has read it before, so he did, and my daughter did not, and did not know the twist at all. So uh, it was good fun. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that was good, but the Packers are in serious trouble now. Like this is no longer like: Are they Super Bowl caliber? This is like. How high are we going to be drafting? That is, <laughs> that is the level of of Will problems they get to that double they have. digit wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's this was supposed to be the easy part of the schedule. You guys it, were talking. This is the easy. It schedule. is the easy part part of the schedule. There's not really ambiguity around that. This is this is it. It gets much harder later. There's still some cream puffs on the like Washington next week is terrible. I don't have confidence that they can beat a terrible team, so I don't think it really matters. But. Uh, it's it's rough. They're quite bad. They have all kinds. They have personnel issues. They have chemistry issues. There's definitely some backfighting going on in the, uh, within the team itself. Uh, it's it's uh, it's not great. It's looking bad. So I mentioned this on Twitter during the game, but uh, I don't know, don't know if you guys saw it. But I was watching Liverpool and Manchester City, which is the match in world soccer at this point. I mean, it is. Uh, those are like two of the very best teams at every single time they play. They play a just scorching match that everybody talks about for weeks as being like the prime example of why the sport is so great. And so it was this wonderful offensive mind, even though it only ended up being one nothing. There was just attacking back and forth. Everybody's playing positive attacking on the edge of your seat football the whole game with passion and really caring about it. And it ends up being this this absolutely magnificent victory for Liverpool and all of that. And then to switch over to the Packer game after watching that was like, yeah. oh, oh yeah, you've gone from heaven to hell because that was the absolute like <laughs> that was just the dreck of of uh, what is often just you know it, it, it could turn into a slog like the NFL season at this point it feels like games especially like this time of year can just turn into a slog and there there was- seemed to be a lot of that on NFL Network today when I had that on while I was working like yeah, just slog. Honestly, it was a little like watching a Brewer game today. It was <laughs> just have it on in the background. It was not great. Yeah, no. And then you turn on uh, Bills Chiefs on CBS right after, and it's not even the same sport that you're watching, and it, it's insane. Uh, but plenty to talk about there. You're gonna need to be a patron to get a question in on the next reporting as eligible. Uh, you were, I, I, that was yeah. last week. We had 19 questions for reporting as eligible on Patreon. So thanks everybody. That was awesome. But yeah, it's a uh, when the Packers are controversial, man, people have a lot of questions. <laughs> that's that's one word for sucks. Um, yeah, so 
if you want to become a patron, you should just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate uh, for as little as two bucks a month. You get that question priority both on this podcast and on the Packers podcast as well. You also, uh, when you sign up for the $5 level, get the extra uh, podcast, the minor league extra and Paul's uh, mini pods previewing every game in which he'll tell you exactly how the Packers are going to lose. And which I did right this week, that. by the way, that did happen. Yeah. I did in fact predict the Jets would win this game. Most of the problems I predicted happened. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was not, I, I hate being right on those, but goodness gracious. I mean, they, they, yeah. they got to get this fixed. Always, always a good listen. Um, I like to listen on Sunday morning just to, you know, start my day in a negative mindset and then uh, <laughs> see how the Packers uh, invariably let me down as an owner of the franchise. So uh, plenty of Packers talk on the other podcast. Uh, we've got other cheery things to talk about as we break down the end of the Brewers season. Uh Sort of like the reporting as eligible side, uh, there's a lot of questions this week as we kind of sent out that call for the the season in review type of questions, and we're not going to get to them all right away this week. We'll just put that out there at the start. So uh, if you are a patron and you sent in a question, do not worry. Ryan's already got a bunch saved for next week's episode. We will get to them eventually, but uh, we just want to kind of dive right into uh, everything here. So um, on this week's show, of course, we're going to be looking back on what went wrong in the season from hell that just finished. And uh, those are Ryan's words, not mine, but I will uh, mm-hmm. agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and if Ryan's saying it's a season of from hell, you know it's been really bad. So obviously there's a lot to get uh to go over, I should say. I'm rusty. I haven't done this in three weeks. So um oh, yeah, that's right. I've been away for a couple. Uh, <laughs> so this this will be a fun time. So bear with me, folks. Uh in the meantime, I, I guess let's just start with the offense, the thing that everybody hated. We talked about it all year, debated about it all year on just how bad it actually was. Of course, the the Brewers ended up building a high strikeout, low average team even by uh this year's run environment standards the struggles against teams over 500 they ended the year with a 640 ops against winning teams as opposed to a 787 ops against losing teams uh also talked a lot about consistency and the average number of runs scored a game they ended up at 4.4 runs per game which ranked 10th in the majors but you know, as we mentioned there and talked about all year, the, the, the run distribution was kind of the issue. And we had these long droughts and it was just not very fun to watch. So, Ryan, let's just start with you. How big of a problem did the offense end up being in 2022? I know you were kind of higher on it than most people throughout the year. But um, now that it's all done, how are you feeling? I mean, it was less of a problem than I think most people expected. Uh, certainly less of a problem than I expected. I didn't expect it to be solidly above average, which is basically where it ended up settling in towards the, by the end of the season. So I don't know. It, it it wasn't the reason that they didn't make the playoffs. If if things had gone more according to plan, uh, this offense would have easily gotten them into the playoffs. If that if the pitching had been anything like what it was last year, they're easily in the playoffs. So the offense was an improvement. People have pointed out that really by any number you care to look at, this has been the best offense that David Stearns has put together in his time in Milwaukee. Uh, they've been more of a pitching and run prevention unit 
in Stearns' tenure. And so this offense really wasn't the issue. There are things you can tweak and things that they will tweak. You're obviously improvements they're going to make and all that. They're, they're not going to sit on their hands. And they have some interesting decisions coming up that we'll get into in the coming weeks about do they want to change the focus of this to being, you know, kind of a, a, a three true outcomes uh, home run oriented offense, or do they want to start trying to mix in more contact? And because they have some prospects that can do that sitting at the, the high levels. So you have those sorts of questions that you, you can look at going forward, but really like, I think that if you were to take this group and run it back, you probably wouldn't be quite as good as this, but you'd still probably be solidly average. And we also just don't know what the the difference is going to be next year with the rule changes, right? So, yeah, you think that Rowdy Tellez and and Christian Yelich especially are going to get a little bit better on the average side. Other guys will, you know, that that's not just a thing that's happening to the Brewers, though. Everybody's sort of getting that advantage. So there will be changes for everybody in that nature. But I ultimately, I just don't think that the offense was the thing that cost them their their season this year like that was not what kept them out of the playoffs the offense I think you could say pretty fairly did its job for the most part yeah I have to eat some crow to Ryan actually because a month and a half ago I predicted that the Cubs would finish with a higher DRC plus than the Brewers did and they most certainly did not do that um, so um, they finished with a 96 DRC plus the the Brewers finished with 100 and um, uh, like I would love to blame the offense a ton for just sucking against good teams, but Ryan's fundamentally correct. As 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 much as it doesn't seem like it, if you watch the Brewers day in day out and their uh, their fault their screw ups with less than two outs and men on third and the bases loaded, seemingly although not actually that bad, um, they finished with a DRC plus of a hundred. So did the Padres. Um, that is, they're essentially exactly the same offense when it's all said and done, given their parks. And all that stuff. They're middle of the pack. They finished 13th in DRC+. plus. Most offensive numbers, they finished about the same. Um, so you'd like to see it better. You'd like to see Yelich being you know, a total all-pro and like he used to be, and he's not anymore. Mm-hmm. But they did have a lot of average offense. They just lacked star power. And it that, that profile does give you some problems, especially if you're running into constant elite pitching, which is why they struggled against good teams and were able to hammer worse teams where you're going to get you know, some some rough three, four, five starters, and even their aces aren't particularly good. Um, but the offense really wasn't the issue for the playoffs. It, it really wasn't. And um, it, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's unfair, but I'm sure we'll get to the pitching in a minute, of course. But the pitching numbers are objectively, I think, better, especially the starters, guys at the top. Um, but they're not good enough considering what they're supposed to be doing, and there was enough super bad performances to drag that sucker all down. So um, you can win with this offense. You, you just can. It's the other stuff that went wrong that wasn't supposed to go wrong that cost this team a playoff berth. Yeah, and I also I'm going to be bringing up some stats because some people have sent me stuff over the, the last few days, and I just want to shout out Red Venture, who's been tracking this because it came up at one point in the season. Adam McAlvey tweeted about it that the Brewers were actually very high in terms of the number of times they scored four plus runs and five plus runs this season. And you generally sort of think that four plus runs, five plus runs, those games are games that you're at least going to compete in and generally more often than not win if you have a good pitching staff, which they were supposed to. And um, so again, thank you to red for this. And the Brewers finished sixth in baseball in both five plus runs and four plus run games. 
So they're up there with the likes of the Red Sox and the Mets and the Phillies were right behind them. The Red Sox Blue Jays were right in front of them. Um, You know, obviously the Dodgers and the Cardinals are up at the top of this. And yeah, so they it, it wasn't a consistency problem. This wasn't like they were out there. They would have some games where they would score a ton of runs and there were some games where they would score none. That wasn't really the case either. They were they were getting their buy in here uh, for most days to be able to win and just weren't able to because more often than not, the pitching was just bad enough to lose, yeah. which foreshadows where we're going next. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I should say on that note, obviously, you just mentioned it there. And a, a thing that we talked about a little bit, but maybe not as much as we probably should have as it was happening was definitely how. Uh, the, the pitching staff seemed to take a step back, at least, as Paul said, beyond the, the front end guys, right? So, of course, last year when they won 95 games in 2021, they had the second best ERA uh, in the league at 3.13. This year, it dropped all the way down to 3.75, which was 12th uh, for in the league. So, obviously, not even a, you know, a top two or three, like a lot of people expected, not even top 10 pitching staff. And that really, when you're a pitching and defense team, as you guys mentioned, uh, really hurts. So uh, I guess just how big of a problem was that, uh, I guess, lack of pitching depth, Paul, or or what do you attribute to that? Um, I, I do think it is a little bit regression to the mean. Um, when you have guys like, when Corbin Burns wins the Cy Young, most people don't win the Cy Young twice in a row that usually does not happen <laughs> most people don't stay healthy for multiple consecutive seasons if they're pitchers and um coming back to well above average for him isn't that surprising um woodruff spent some time on the dl but losing freddie peralta is huge um you know it, this used to be a three-headed monster and for most of the season it was a two-headed monster um and then there there were some things they couldn't control that were worse um their defense falling apart is especially bad for adrian hauser uh, a a generally above average pitcher who relies heavily on getting ground balls. And if ground balls don't turn into outs, he, he falls off a cliff very quickly. And that happened. And then um, we can, I'm sure we'll get into the, the hater uh, slash performance quite a bit, but hater um, just basically falling apart for a, a month and not being able to close games down. And then, you know, they're moving on from hater. Uh, whatever you think of the return or the general idea, fact of the matter is this team is constructed to protect small leads and when hater is no longer a part of that team either via attrition or through physically not being a part of the team it's a huge blow i'm sure they were counting on devin williams to sort of step into that role and be essentially hater and fill in the blanks behind him Uh, that didn't work so well the people they acquired didn't work so well and uh their wpa swing i suspect is one of the larger things on the year because they went from being able to to be like a sure lockdown team to one of the lesser uh, teams in ability to protect leads that there is. So uh, I get it with a ton and uh, it just all spiraled into a less than perfect pitching staff. Yeah. And I think that like to go back to the, to the starting pitching of it, you looking at what they got last year versus this year. If you look, you know, yes, they had Brett Anderson and his 96 innings of 98 ERA plus. So he's basically league average last year. But other than that, you look at what the rest of those guys did. Brandon Woodruff is out there putting up a 161. 
Um, so 61% above league average. Corbin Burns, 70% above league average. Freddie Peralta, 47% above league average. Uh, Adrian Hauser and uh, Eric Lauer were both like about 30, a 128 and a 130. So these guys were all way above average last year, and they were also pitching a, a good number of innings. Yeah, you know, last year you were getting 144 out of Freddie. You're getting 142 out of uh, Hauser. You're getting 118 out of Lauer. So actually a little bit less there. He he was the one guy I think you could say like kind of had a better season. He went from you know 118 innings to 158 innings this year, and uh, was a. It, a little bit less effective on an inning per inning basis, but still a 107 ERA plus this year, solid. Like Eric Lauer was was not the problem. Um, the problem really came from those bottom guys. Like you get 78 innings out of Freddie, and they were not as great yeah. as they were the year before. And both Aaron Ashby and Adrian Hauser um, had a lot of problems, especially yeah. uh, Ashby as a starter really did you know struggle at times. But you could see it. You could see there were games when uh, Aaron Ashby was absolutely dominant. And so you could kind of see where that's going, but he's going to have to stay healthy and he's going to have to be effective. Ultimately, I think this is the main area. This is the real area, and it, it never gets talked about, but I think this, more than any other thing, is what cost them this season. Because they had so much invested in this group and so much put into it. Like this was where they were expecting to get their difference. And they had every right to sort of expect that it would be good because last year, like James pointed out, it was the second uh, unit in terms of ERA. And I think it was just behind the Dodgers because of course it was just behind the Dodgers, but you know, to fall then out of the top 10 completely and just is a huge, huge loss for the team. And just put them in a bad position uh, and put the bullpen in a bad position over and over and over again, where they were protecting closer leads for longer than they have in the past. Right. So they are not only are they having to pitch more because the starters aren't going as deep consistently, but also they're having to, you know, work with even less margin for error because the starters very often didn't give them as much wiggle room to work with. Yeah. So, I think that's this area more than anything is I think where this season and I think in long and I've said this for a few weeks now, this is where I think in years that go by, you'll look back and you'll go, yeah, well, okay, what's the difference between 2021 and 2022? It was the starting pitching. That's the main yeah. difference. And like Jason Alexander had 71 innings. Um, that's that's not good. That's too many innings for Jason Alexander. I think in, in the past due to uh, just having some a few extra studs down in the minors and some averagey guys that they've had hanging around. They haven't really run out to the very bottom of the bullpen that much. I th last year, I would say Yandel Gustav was kind of my guy whenever he would come in and be like, okay, that's too far. That's my line of cutoff um, for <laughs> having a good pitcher out there. This year, Yandel Gustav, first of all, had a one or 3.86 ERA, which isn't that bad, uh, but he threw 28 innings, and uh, that's probably a little too much. And uh, there's too much Perdomo and too much, uh, Matt, definitely too much Matt Bush who did not work out and uh, 23 innings from him and Taylor Rogers. Just all these guys who would not have even seen time last year had everybody just stayed healthy. Um, it uh, it crumbled at the top and the bottom, and uh, that uh, that really is what cost them. Combining with the defense falling apart, which is its own major problem, I think was hard to foresee actually happening. Oh, we're when we get to the bullpen, I'm going right back at that because Bush, yeah. we'll, we'll get there. 
Whatever. I don't care what his peripherals say. He was trash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's just start there because, Ryan, as much as you want the story of this season to maybe be the starting pitching mm-hmm. not being as good as anticipated, <laughs> I feel like quite a few people will disagree on what the story mm-hmm. of the season is, at least right now. Um, so, of course, we had the Josh Hader trade and... All of the things that happened after really makes it easy to maybe draw some conclusions on that. And and let's just talk about how much that had to do with everything and, and all that discourse and everything. So I guess just overall, Paul, you kind of touched on it. Just how bad was the bullpen even aside or even before the hater trade, I should say? Um, It was not great. It was definitely stressed before the hater trade. Um, they, they were relying... Far too much on, you know, when Jason Alexander's the line this year, and he even started way too many games. But um, uh, I guess my line was Miguel Sanchez this year, um, and didn't even perform. His peripherals were bad, but on the field, not too bad. But uh, they cycled through way more guys than they're used to cycling through. Um, and a lot of the rule changes, I think, kind of came home a little bit too and robbed them of some of the marginal gains they used to get off the bullpen by being able to strictly platoon guys with a little more rigor um, and uh, you know, being able to play those matchups. Uh, that disappeared, plus bullpen weakness disappeared. And um, it, it was not good before the trade. It, it wasn't. Um, they, they lacked depth, and moving to get some, some depth there isn't the worst idea in a vacuum at all. Um, you know, how it went is, is not great because you, you gave up hater in the process as well. But um, it's a problem. They tried to fix it. They failed. I would say failed at fixing it. And uh, at least they tried. But uh, that was not good enough. OK, so looking at what the bullpen was, I think we have to kind of divide it into two pieces, because first of all, the bullpen as a unit was actually a little bit better in the second half than it was in the first half. Uh, and that was because the oh depth, the depth of the bullpen was actually better. Um, I mean, okay. By by ERA, by ERA, like it's three point. Uh, sorry, I have it here. Uh, three point nine five versus three point nine six. Like it's virtually identical. Basically, the the overall bullpen ERA before and after the trade was almost exactly the same. The difference was is that for the first two months of the season, they had a perfect Josh Hader because Josh Hader didn't give up a run until what, like June fifth. Yep. Yeah. They had a yep. perfect Josh Hader and a uh, uh, Williams got off to a little bit of a slow start. He had a, like a rough first couple weeks. And this seems to be a thing he does where he gets off to a little bit of a rough start. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, he hasn't given up a run in like 22 appearances, um, which like for basically most of the rest of the season, he was he was pretty good. He had a, a few rough hiccups in the second half, but like his ERA was still under two and a half in the second half. So or after the trade. So whatever. So they had that going for them in the first half where they had this shutdown unit at the end of games that could that could shut it down. That starts to change, obviously, in July before the trade even comes along because Josh Hader ends up putting up a 12 ERA in July and has six of his uh, 11 appearances. He gave up runs. So he was already having a lot of problems before he ever got traded. And I think people kind of remember that, but it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit that like. Hater was a real problem before he got traded. And we talked about it at the time. Obviously, we went deep into this and talked about whatever was going on there. And they so they ended up trading Hater and they end up trading him for Taylor Rogers. And Rogers ends up having this bad half. Um, 
getting into the like what happened with both Bush and Rogers is really interesting. And shout out to Ruby Q for finding this on Twitter. Um, he brought up the fact that both of them gave up six home runs in 25 under 25 innings each. They both gave up six home runs. And I remember at the deadline, you bringing up when they traded for uh, for Rogers. Paul, your point about Rogers was he doesn't give up home runs. <laughs> and right. if you yeah. look at Rogers history, that's true. He has a he has a 12.1% career home run to fly ball ratio, which is pretty solid. He he's not a big home run giver upper. When he was with the Brewers, it jumped to 27.5 or whatever it was. It was 27 something. Okay. Bush, same sort of thing. He was in the 12 wow. area and jumped to about 24. So it about doubled for him too. And uh, if you look at uh, and Mike Bischoff, shout out to him for for bringing this to my attention. If you look at their DRA as Brewers, and I tried to do this for the rest of the bullpen, but you can't divide up DRA very much. And so, deserved run average is Jonathan Judge's baby over at uh, at Baseball Prospectus, and it is basically meant to measure like what is the what does a pitcher deserve to have given up, right? And it's it's not measured against ERA. It's measured against total runs average, right? So it's the it's takes even that out of it. So it's even like you'd even expect a little higher than a normal ERA. Rogers put up a three point five one DRA in, after the trade, and Bush was a three point six one. So basically, they were reasonably decent pitchers who had a home run problem, and they gave up more home runs than you would expect them to have given up. And that's basically what happened. Those guys in the second half, and you look at like what they ended up giving up, the Brewers had a total of 16 blown saves in the second half. Those guys accounted for a lot of the blown saves, and it was generally a case where like they gave up just the, uh, the runs that you'd need to lose. Other than, uh, Roger said that uh, the big walk-off in Colorado when he gave up the home run there, and that was way more than they needed to lose. But generally... They were giving up just enough to lose, and that was sort of a repeat thing over and over and over throughout the second half. So when you look at what those pitchers actually were for the Brewers, the word luck gets overused, but I don't know. Like, they weren't terrible pitchers. They just they had a home run problem, and that wasn't something that was generally in their history, right? So what do you what do you do with that? I'm I'm not even sure what you what is it you do with that. This is the this is the old point that Steve Garshinsky always used to make that relievers are just carnies who have one weird trick to get out. So when they don't, you just get rid of them and you don't invest anything in them because they're just going to break your heart and they're just going to be basically fungible and replaceable. And I sort of feel like that's what happened here. I I, I don't really know to go like too far into this. It's it's just one of those things that happened. And I don't know how you prevent something like that from happening in the future. It's, it's very difficult to get like truly good stud relievers on the market. And even when you do like Josh Hader, like the Padres thought they were getting a stud reliever. And then he goes out and puts up like a 16 ERA in August. One of Roger's specific problems was that his platoon splits uh, took a, a more severe split than they usually do. And righties really hit the hell out of him, um, especially given the run environment of this season. 
they batted 338, uh, I'm sorry, 263, 338, 796 OPS, um, 458 slugging. Sorry, I, I don't know how I missed a, an, an OPS number there, but uh, he gave up seven runs all year. They were all against righties, and uh, I think that the... Is that right? He only gave up one before the trade? Yep. He gave up, so he was really, he had a rough mm, two months before the trade. But only gave up one home run. One home run, and then he gave up six with the Brewers. Gave up six with the Brewers. Yeah. Yep. Good God Almighty. (laughs) His issue with the Padres was more kind of getting dinked and dunked to death. Yeah. Too many balls in play. Yikes. But all right. Yeah. Platoons did a number on him too. I think a little more strict um, usage of Rogers may have gone a long way towards getting that DRA close to his ERA. Yeah, and so the thing with Bush, like. I think they're going to bring him back, and I think that's going to make people crazy. It's good. people are going to be really mad that they do that. But I mean, he ended up with a whip. His season whip was, or his his whip with the Brewers was under one. Right, he had a point zero zero point nine seven whip with the Brewers. So uh, yep. uh, yeah, I, I thought that yeah. So like we're not really looking forward here, but that one is that's going to really fascinate me because I think if you just run it back with Matt Bush. He's probably a much, much better pitcher. And I don't think they run it back with Rodgers. I think he's a, he's a free agent, and they're just going to let him walk, and he'll go somewhere else and rehab his value, and that'll be fine. But I think they bring Bush back. And I just It'll be interesting to see how people react to that. I mean, whatever. He's a, He'll be a middle reliever making $3 million or whatever. Don't yeah, that's true. For anything, and uh, I think, yeah. It, if he's the plan to be the eighth inning guy or the closer, then yeah, people will flip out a little bit. But if you, if you just treat him as another reliever, fine, whatever. Sure. All right. Um, so Ryan, you mentioned the the copious amount of blown saves. Uh, and I guess it, it, it is really easy to, you know, say that's the reason why they collapsed down the stretch. But, um, you know, as I had pointed out too, like, the two months before the trade deadline, the team overall was kind of scuffling. They were 25 and 26 in June and July leading up to the deadline. It's not like they were pitching all that well either. Um, I also gave you a, a, a point of comfort by reminding <laughs> you that the only reason the, the Brewers did not have the tiebreaker with the Phillies is because of Josh Hader. True. And he blew a save against them. Uh, but I guess how much blame does the the bullpen deserve uh ryan for the collapse down the stretch because it's it's easy to point to blown saves but also like who's to say you know you, you can't assume that josh hater would have converted converted all of those a lot of the blown saves were not even in the ninth inning they were seventh inning leads or whatever that doesn't account for wins you have that you probably should have lost right so i guess how much blame do you attribute to the bullpen for the second half slide and ultimately not making the playoffs I mean, about as much as I attribute to the the starting pitching because the starting pitching was was problematic as well. It required it asked a lot out of them, and I guess you could point to the offense too and say that like the offense wasn't scoring like a ton of runs. They could have been beating people's heads in like the Phillies did, you know, post Girardi, and so they could have been better. Uh, the bullpen really like it. It is the reason that they didn't make the playoffs. It, but it is also like not um, and this is very hard. Like I, I keep saying this and it it like doesn't come out right or whatever. But like 
it wasn't correct to predict that they were going to be exactly bad enough to be <laughs> the thing that kept them out of it because overall in the second half they just weren't that bad. It was just that they when they needed to to uh hold a one run lead, you know, they gave up a run. When they needed to hold a two run lead, they gave up two runs. And that just happened over and over and over again. And it just I mean, you guys all sat through it. You people listening to this, you sat through this and you know what it was like. It was just excruciating. It seemed like Every other night you had the bullpen being just barely bad enough to lose. And so, I mean, you can you can say that that is like that is the reason that they're not in if the bullpen been better. But you could also point to the other factors on the club as well and said, well, if that had been better. And this is true because they missed the playoff. What did they end up missing it by one game or was it a game basically a game and a half? They finished a game behind the Phillies, so, so they, they would have had to two. basically two because they didn't have the tiebreaker. Okay, or, so, or one against the Phillies. Yeah, right. Actually, how much did they lose the tiebreaker by? Did they lose by one game? I, I have splits up right now. I can just look at it. Um, they did not. They 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 lost the tiebreaker to the Phillies by two games. So, ah, okay. so two games is the answer. Okay, so it, in, when you have that situation, it is very very close. You obviously by by the very nature of it, any any sort of things on the negative side go differently. And you're looking at a different outcome to the season. So really, it's just you know, more than anything, it's everything. <laughs> I think one of the reasons people are madder about this than normal is because of that reason. Uh, when we talk about making big trades, uh, they've actually, I don't know if they've declined. I feel like they've declined a little bit in this day and age because of the playoff expansion. But we've always talked in the past about how the ones you really want to make are to get that marginal win that puts you in the playoffs because the money that you get for making the playoffs will usually pay off for the risk that you take. Mm -hmm. um, and when you miss the playoffs by two games, it really seems like a missed opportunity, especially at the trade deadline to do exactly that. And they, while the offense wasn't necessarily a problem, it could have been better. It's, it's, uh, it's been better in the past when Yelich could still hit the ball and other people could still hit the ball and getting a bat maybe puts them in the playoffs and maybe getting, more pitching or better pitching or something like that gets them in the playoffs, maybe getting just better defensive help around the horn. Like there were, when, you, when you're this close, it just seems like, you know, you get that one little little addition wherever and it might push you over the top. And that, that didn't happen here. I do think that the bullpen should bear the brunt of the blame though, because this team is historically constructed to benefit from Craig Council and the bullpen being able to protect small leads better than the rest of the league is capable of protecting small leads. That's sort of their raison d'etre. It's why they can have an average offense and still somewhat count, reliably count on getting into the playoffs. And uh, when it fails and when it, like if it, when it gives up ill-timed home runs, uh, when they're not deep enough to be able to play platoons appropriately or work around the rules against playing platoons appropriately, like that's really where it lies. Um, and, uh, they might have to reconsider that philosophy going forward, given what the rules and the state of baseball is now. Uh, they might actually have to focus on some way of generating more offense, or maybe maybe it is leaning harder on starting pitching, which they tried to do this year, but that has its own problems because pitchers get hurt a lot, and when they do, it saps a lot of value in your team. Uh, but I think this is on the bullpen and council for not being able to work the magic that they've been accustomed to working, and uh, it's it's a problem going forward because I think it's much more difficult to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think Josh Hader kind of took himself out of that role 
uh, in June or sorry, in July, right? Like he took himself out of being that shutdown closer and it took him a month past the trade deadline to actually figure it out. Cause he was terrible again in August, even worse. Yeah. So like when a player takes themselves out of that role as like the shutdown man, the guy who's going to, to get that stuff done, um, I think it's hard. It, it puts the, the team in a tough situation. It puts the manager in a tough situation because even if they keep Hater, and this is something that's come up a bunch on Twitter, people asking, and I seriously, I, I just don't know the answer to this. How long would it have taken Hater to, let's assume it plays out the exact same way it did in San Diego, where he doesn't pitch a whole lot in August, and when he does, he's terrible. How long does it take for him to regain trust? How long is that? Does it come to the point where they they start to be like, okay, we're going to start trusting you to hold down a one run lead in the ninth again? Well, on the one hand, we talked so much about them being potentially able to diagnose a serious hater problem, mm-hmm. and you know he came back, but he might not be back forever. Maybe he will. I think we have to trust them the same to be able to to also diagnose, you know, if he gets his release point and his spin back appropriately and get him back. Like, that's one of the things that you should be able to trust the organization to do properly. So um, you're thinking relatively quickly after he regains that. Yeah, I am. I think that they should be able to see it. That it, it if, would it would come relatively fast. Okay, that's fair. Then the question becomes, would they have recovered it faster, slower than the Padres? Would it? We we I mean, that we really can't know. We just don't know exactly what would have happened in that case had he stayed on the team. Um, because obviously there were still problems a month of him being with the Brewers in, in July, they clearly weren't able to fix the problem. Right. So they, they clearly had that month to work on whatever and whatever they were doing was not helping. So you then just wonder like how quickly would that have, would it have happened with the Brewers? Would there have been, you know, extra stuff going on. I, I, you just, it's very hard to know any of those things, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, before we move on to Patreon questions, just one more, I guess, big picture thought for the bullpen. And, you know, it, it's basically what, if anything, could have been different, done differently to basically avoid that full scale bullpen meltdown in the second half. And I, I assume, Ryan, when you put this down, you didn't mean the, the obvious answer <laughs> that everyone's probably screaming of just don't trade Josh Hader, right? So it, it's not that simple. Well, yeah, but like, okay, so here's the question that I keep asking to people. And like, I, I can't really make this any more plain. How is it that Josh Hader and his seven something ERA in the second half would have saved the bullpen, which had a 3.95 ERA after the trade? from the awfulness of Taylor Rogers, who put up a 5.6-something ERA. How is Josh Hader, who put up a 7 ERA after the trade deadline, going to save this bullpen from Taylor Rogers when he was worse than Taylor Rogers? I, I, maybe, I, like, I don't know. <laughs> How does that work? Maybe Devin Williams would have been less sad and would have pitched better. Like, uh, that's where you have to go with this, right? And, and like, I'm being kind of snarky and sarcastic about this, but, like, that's basically where you have to go is that it, it's all about the soft factors and, like, they were in such a bad way after the trade because of that. And if they don't trade Josh so, Hader, then that doesn't happen. I don't know. Maybe. that Maybe that's the, the answer. 
the legitimate answer here is while the bullpen was bad and we do blame them, there were other avenues potentially available, including pitching. And I think one thing that will be haunted by a little bit forever on the season is that the Cardinals went out and got pitchers and they pitched brilliantly for the Cardinals. And mm-hmm. if you if you plug them both in for Adrian Hauser um, and uh, and Eric Lauer or whatever, just sixth starter, um, you probably make the playoffs too um, without too much trouble. Well, and especially because you keep them away from the Cardinals. So also that yes, true, if you go out and get Quintana, if you go out and get. Uh, Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, I don't know what they would have traded for those guys, though. That that's, a, that's the issue. Yeah, Didn't like the Cardinals not give up much for them. Uh, the Cardinals gave up uh, Harrison Bader, who's a really good defensive center fielder and hits True. a little bit, and like is hitting for the Yankees in the post. I think he has like three home runs for the Yankees, so he is hitting in the postseason. But he also was like hurt at the time. He was in like a cast at the time of the trade. He was hurt for most of the second half. Actually, he just barely made it back before the start of the playoffs so yeah i think we were overly optimistic because look woodruff came back right before the the trade deadline and was pitching well like he had a few starts in by the time the trade deadline happened so we're like okay woodruff is back and it's cooking and then freddie was due to come back and everybody was praising how good he was doing in rehab and he was good when he came back except he got hurt again and we probably should have seen that coming more than we did and have mitigated it. And we did talk right before the trade deadline on here about the idea that maybe they need to get starting pitching depth, that that might be the thing that they really need. But I think they said, well, no, our real problem is the bullpen. We need to get better in the bullpen. And so they, they made those moves hoping to get like, here was the thing. And I guess that if you want to criticize the, the Rosenthal thing, have at it. And if you want to criticize the Matt Bush thing, have at it. But what they were pretty clearly doing with those moves was they were swinging for the fences for guys who could potentially work their way into those high leverage innings for them. They were looking at guys who could potentially do that, that, that if Rosenthal had proven to be healthy, they were thinking we might have a guy who could like pitch meaningful innings down the stretch and in the postseason for us. That was the hope. They didn't need to add more Trevor Gotts and Hobie Milners and, um, and guys like that to the middle of the bullpen. That was not a thing they needed. What they needed was somebody to step up and give them a late inning reliever um, it, that that they could pair with Devin Williams once they decided they needed to move on from Josh Hader. Like mm-hmm. I, that's what they needed, and they took a shot at that, and it just didn't work. Like they it, it didn't materialize, but that's what they were shooting for. All right, so let's move to Patreon questions because we got a bunch. Yep. First one comes from Jay Google, and it's on Josh Hader. So let's just start there, asking, what are your thoughts on David Stearns basically admitting trading Hader was a bad decision? I know, like, in the you know season-ending press conference, that might have raised some eyebrows, but I guess to me, um, I don't know if you guys feel differently, but to me, like, David Stearns has always been one to admit when he makes a mistake rather quickly, he tends to move on quickly when moves aren't working out. It wasn't terribly surprising to me, but I guess, Paul, any any surprises in what he had to say about not, maybe the, the people factor of it, maybe? I don't not know. Not really, because PR is definitely a factor there, but we can talk about the process all day and whether the process was sound or not. And I'm sure that the Brewers' internals will reflect what they thought of how that process what went, and they'll do some audits of anything that maybe went wrong in the back end of it but 
fundamentally, it doesn't matter. Um, the fact of the matter is Josh Hader ended up on the Padres, and after struggling for a bit, got fixed right up and started not knocking down ninth innings again and got them into the playoffs and very far into the playoffs. And the guys that came over to the Brewers, peripherals be damned, um, gave up a bunch of home runs and cost them a bunch of games. That Nobody cares if that shouldn't have happened. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, as the person speaking to everybody, uh, Buck stops with him and uh, saying it was a mistake is perfectly reasonable thing for him to do, especially given what we heard about it possibly impacting clubhouse chemistry. Um, saying that out loud is also not a bad way to start repairing it with your players saying, yeah, screwed that up. Next time we'll think about this a little bit harder before we you know, disrupt things in the, the locker room. That's important as well. Yeah, it's interesting because and I sent this to you guys. Uh, there was a an interview that he did on 620 TMJ with Brian D. And he was asked specifically by D uh, if he would want a do over for the hater trade. Do you guys remember this? Nope. No. Okay. So he was asked by Brian D and this was the quote from David Stearns on this. It had an impact on our team. There's no question about it. Probably a larger impact than I was anticipating when we made the trade. So there's the part about he's alluding to that clubhouse thing, right? That this had an impact on our guys and it, it hurt more than what, uh, than what he was anticipating. And he is sort of freely admitting that. Right. But the next part is where it gets really important. And like, critical to, to understanding what happened here because he was asked if he wanted to do over on the trade. And what he says is I should have done a better job to help us get through that. So he's yep. not saying he wants the, he would, he would take the trade back that he would, he would take a do over if he could do it again. He's saying that he should have done other things, whether that's in the clubhouse or other trades, as you've alluded to a lot, Paul, like that he should have done those other things. So he's not he is specifically not saying he would take the trade back. He would still do it. He's just saying he would do other things to make it go better. And I think that's really interesting. Like more than anything, I think that that's telling of where they're at with it in terms of like what they thought of the process versus the result. Sure. Um, yeah, it it's going to be the thing that's talked about to death too um, through the postseason especially as Josh Hader, you know, nailed down two saves against the Dodgers, blew everybody away uh, Mm -hmm. and and looked awesome doing it. So I guess that leads us to our next question from a new patron whose name is you're either a smart fella or a fart smella. Uh, So great name there. And also a good question asking were the reports of Josh Hader's demise greatly exaggerated. Semi-related, despite Hader giving national baseball media a bunch of fodder to point at the egg on the Brewers front office's face, has the way these playoffs have gone pretty much reinforced the bites of the apple approach? Uh, I think a lot, especially considering, you know, the National League had three 100-win teams and none of them made it to the LCS. I guess, Paul, your thoughts on both of those, both Hader seemingly being back and uh, the seeming randomness, at least in the NL bracket. Um, yes, with a little bit of a caveat. Um, I do think that you you still can't really plan for playoff success for the most part. And when you do get in here, especially with short series, even, even five gamers, uh, that's just a lot of randomness that can happen. Um, I will say, uh, you know, there was once a book written 
uh, no, this is prospectus column. Once a prospectus column um, about uh, why Billy Bean stuff doesn't work in the playoffs, which um, was recanted later in baseball between the numbers because they decided they were wrong about it. Um, the one thing I will say, though, I, there's one thing that I think impacts this more that is not just randomness, which is um, in the playoffs, your top two starting pitchers uh, pitch about twice as often as they do in the regular season per uh, per inning, per game, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so if you have that, um, your team will be naturally better than it was during the regular season if, if you've got horses at the top. Now, that is, of course, good for the Brewers if you have Corbin Burns and Brendan Woodruff, and this should work better than it probably does. Um, but uh, I, I don't think you can necessarily just take any old uh, lucky team, walk in there, and have the same chance of winning a championship as like the Dodgers do. Um, but uh, yeah, if you can sort of build for the playoff advantages and get in a, as a wild card or lower team, you do have a good chance. It's not a bad idea, especially if you're not going to outspend the Yankees and Dodgers on the regular. Um, that's annoying, but it really is probably the case. So yeah, I do agree with that. Yeah, I think I'm. Obvi- well, obviously, I agree with this. Like, you it's, are. Yeah, like this is this is what I always argue. So, I think that it's important to remember that the the whole bites of the apple thing has been such a uh, uh, yeah, it's been terrible. But the the core idea of it, I think, a lot of people really just agree with, which is you want to be good and make the playoffs a lot. Like that's that's what bites of the apple means. You want to be good and make the playoffs a lot. Like you want to consistently year after year be good and be in the playoffs. And that is what they're they're sort of building for. And what they did this year at the deadline, when you look at like the decisions that they made at the deadline, they were aimed at basically maintaining their position in the the race at exactly where it was. Uh, if you look at Fangraph's numbers coming in and out of the, the trade deadline, they had a 3.2% chance of winning the World Series before the deadline and a 3.2% chance of winning the World Series after the deadline. Like, it didn't change. Their percentage in the division went down, like, from uh, 48% to 39%. But it's important to note there, they weren't even 50-50, according to Fangraphs, to win the division, even though they had a three-game lead at the deadline, right? Yep. And the reason that they lost that ground to the Cardinals was because the Cardinals went out and added those pitchers which did help them and did improve their outlook and their percentage to make the playoffs stayed like virtually the same. It was 78.6 before and it was 77.3 after. So their percent to make the playoffs basically didn't change. They they're what they tried to do was they tried to tread water at the deadline and to give themselves this shot at the, the playoffs because, and I brought this up a couple weeks ago, um, on the trade deadline day, the Brewers were eight and a half games back of the Mets for the second playoff or the second uh, uh, the second uh, uh, buy. Sorry, so they were they were eight and a half games back of the second buy. So they looked at it like the difference between being a three seed and being a six seed was not significant, and they miscalculated because it turned out that things were bad enough in the second half. The, like the, the the players they got and what they did ended up being just bad enough to miss the playoffs. And so they like they they maybe tried to get too cute. I think if you want to accuse them of anything this season, it was that they just tried to get too cute. They tried to basically hold uh, their position in the playoffs and 
it ultimately was a bridge too far. Like they, they, they just tried to get a little too cute. Yeah, they did. They didn't go for enough sure things on improvement, and that's what ended up costing them. No spaghetti stuck. Uh, next question again comes from Jay Google. Kind of reiterates what you guys were just saying. Now he says, "Yes, the moves they made didn't work out in the end, but isn't this why Stern's statement had a little credence when he said bites of the apple? Both the five and six seeds are in the NLCS. Baseball is weird and dumb at the same time." So, again, yeah, just kind of reinforcing that point, right? Like, couldn't have predicted the Phillies getting this crazy hot, and and also the Padres. Uh, kind of taking advantage of that at the same time too, right? So, I don't mm-hmm. know. Is there anything else they really could have done differently, or is it just a different dice roll next year and see what happens? Yeah, I mean, if you were simulating this out, I think most simulations of this season they would be in the playoffs most of the time. It just they were just bad enough in just critical enough moments that they ended up missing. So. Yeah, and the the frustrating thing about this, Jonathan Judge has keeps saying this on Twitter that like, you know, if you're the Phillies, it's good to have the skill that occasionally you can just beat the opposing pitcher to death even if they're kind of good. Like yep. that's a really good skill to have in the postseason and that's what they've done. But we've also seen the Phillies like and I I I mentioned this on Twitter too that like I I'm 100% in for the Phillies winning the World Series. I think that would be great. I'm rooting for them all the way. Hope they do it. But it will be a little annoying to hear people be like, well, ever since they fired Girardi, they were a much different team. And so they really deserve to be there. No, they almost crapped away the whole thing in September by in October by being absolutely awful down the stretch. They almost gave it away. They they this this Phillies team was not some great juggernaut. It's gotten hot at the right time. That's much like the Braves team last year. They they got hot at the right time. And that's essentially what happened here. It's not that they were some world beating uh, wonderful uh, thing that was uh, was put on the field by the front office or whatever. It's just they got hot, and that happens because it's baseball. Baseball's so Those stupid. Why do dumb. I like it? <laughs> All right. Uh, Bill Robb, next question, uh, says, for the year-end assessment, remember that the goal was, quote, win the division, get the, get the playoff by, not get the last wild card spot on the last day of the year. When did the goal change? Was it haters week from hell? Uh, so I guess, Paul, when when do you think uh, did the perspective kind of shift for the 2022 Brewers? Um, haters week from hell didn't help. But I think uh, at, at some point, the Cardinals offense really started to turn into a, a true juggernaut. Um, the, the trade deadline, I think, solidified them as prohibitive favorites. That was uh, the Brewers were done by the trade deadline in terms of trying to win the division. That wasn't going to happen. Um, but uh, hate a week from hell is as good as any. I would say as soon as the Cardinals got up by like four or five, it, it was I think the writing was on the wall, and that's when it changed. Um, it it was just too much. The Cardinals had what ended up being either the first or second best offense in the league, and so fixing the pitching behind it made them really, 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 really good. And the Brewers didn't have anything like that in, on either side of the ball. So um, once they got past, it became hard to catch up, and that's when it happened. Yeah, and it, that actually did happen a little bit after the trade deadline too. On the deadline yeah. day, they were still the Brewers were still up by three. So, like, it feels like a week later the Cardinals were prohibitive favorites. It was like a week later, yes. It, yeah. it happened very quickly. I remember we were talking like the Cardinals were hot and couldn't lose, and were playing mm-hmm. cupcakes, and the Brewers were playing the Dodgers and everybody all in a row, and it, things flipped in a hurry. 
Yes, that is exactly correct. It did flip in a hurry, and it was that week right after the trade deadline. And so that's going to be the the story of the year from like the narrative standpoint of like what happened this season. That that is undoubtedly going to be it, um, because that's like the changing action in the story. <laughs> so that that will be it. But I think that really it probably is a little bit earlier and it's it's as the 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 gap grows between them and the second uh the second uh playoff spot so the buy getting that second buy that was kind of when i think they they shifted their focus and again they tried to get too cute here and said well we think we can make the playoffs anyway if we just basically stay the same on paper and we do this hater thing which we're going to we're going to you know, trade hater and hopefully get better by, you know, bringing in a guy who isn't as good as hater, but is maybe less broken. And that just didn't work like that. That part oh. of it did not play out the way that they were hoping it would. And the so the definitive answer is um, August 14th. Just want to put that on record. OK, uh, the Brewers and Cardinals played each other on August 14th. Uh, the Cardinals came into the that game with a two-game lead. Uh, they were they had a sixty one and a half game lead. They were at sixty-three and fifty-one. The Brewers were sixty-one and fifty-two. Uh, that is the game in which uh, Taylor Rogers surrendered a home run to Albert Pujols. Oh right, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, okay. That's it. That's when it ended. It ended on that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten too, like because things had felt so bad for those two weeks, but somehow the Brewers were still technically like within striking distance, right? A game or two behind up until that series and yep. that yep that that That's was it. the 2007 aramis ramirez home run against yeah the and then peter Strelucky yeah. came in and got paul de young out because that would have been good uh batter earlier and uh, yep 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 great all right next question comes from jason spitz and he says actually not a question a statement post losing to the braves in the playoffs last year this has been a very bad 12-month span for the Brewers' ownership and front office. Full stop. I guess, Paul, do you agree with that? Disagree? <laughs> uh, really bad uh, year? It's a bad year. It's not a great year. It's not like they didn't do anything right. Like, Hunter Renfro was good. There, there were a couple good moves. But um, it, it's, uh, it, hasn't been, it hasn't been covered in glory. So uh, I'd give it like a C-, minus, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the worst run that David Stearns and this group have had, certainly for the franchise. I think you have to go back to 2014's collapse and then the the complete shit show that was 2015, yep. like franchise wise. But David Stearns and, you know, that whole group council was just, you know, coming on as manager at that point. So like he like basically under Stearns and council, this is as bad as it's gotten. I give them a little bit of not a pass, but. Um, while they were farting around at the margins, not quite getting it done, there were two things that were, I would say, one definitely not in their control and one not really in their control that really killed them. One of which is uh, the ball this year, I do not think did them favors. Um, normally, I think it would have, but their defense was so bad that having more balls in play did not do them favors. It, it actually actively hurt them. And it hurt a lot of their hitters more than it. I think it's hurt somewhat. Like uh, uh, Urias in particular, I think was really destroyed by the the ball this year um more than anything else and i think they they lost a couple of um what would have been decent power hitters to the ball um and uh, a lot of offensive value the other one was kane like lorenzo kane just basically screwed them and i don't think that's anything the front office necessarily did wrong i don't think kane was in it anymore 
I think that uh, when he got to spend time at home during COVID, he decided he wanted to do that. And they were good sports and got him to his pension or whatever the hell the thing is that he got. And, um, <laughs> whatever it was, it wasn't enough because he was still uh, yeah. pissed. <laughs> he was still pissed, which is annoying of him. Um, but, you know, even if he can't hit that much anymore, his he is allegedly a good, good clubhouse guy before and he good, plays a good defensive center field. And aside from that, they were they were planning to have him clearly otherwise they would have done something so those two things i think were major impacts on the team this year uh and hard to deal with not impossible but uh i think that they they made a major uh, a major dent especially in the offensive profile of the team and were one of the reasons they were so damn boring yeah and i think that i need to contractually here point out that if this is your terrible season where everything has gone wrong and this is undoubtedly the worst uh, year that like David Stearns in this group has had. If your bottom point here, if you're bottoming out at 86 wins and missing the playoffs by two games, you're doing okay. I'd rather like, be the Brewers than the Packers right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there are about you know I don't know uh, 15 to 18 teams looking up and saying I wish I could be as good as the Brewers. So when you're in that situation, things are only so bad. All right. Uh, so let's do the next part pretty quick here. Adam Post is asking for our postseason award picks. So Adam says, please provide your picks for any or all of the following Brewers awards. Let's start with Team MVP. And Paul just sighed a big sigh, so I don't I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, it's a harder question than it should be because I think the obvious answer for MVP and for Cy Young is Burns. Um, I think sure. he was their most valuable player kind of across the board. He was their best pitcher, but he wasn't good enough. <laughs> like, um, so it's hard to say that like in, in a non vacuum. So um, I will I will still go with Burns just on pure value. Um, but honestly, he probably should have been a little better. I mean, I'm just going to go with Willie Adamas because he led the position players in war and 4.7. And I don't, I was that better than, uh, what Burns did. I don't even know offhand. What is his fan graphs? I got warp up here and Burns led the team in warp. Uh, he had 5.4. So. And on fan graphs, he had 4.6. So basically the same as Adamas. Yep. So I'm I'm just gonna hold back and say that uh, Burns is obviously my team Cy Young, like he's the most valuable pitcher, and so I'll just go with that and give the the nod to Willie, who I think was good and weirdly maligned this year <laughs> by a lot of people. So not on this podcast, but like, oh, I, I I would I disagree with that. I've I've Paul has maligned I've him plenty. That plenty. Yeah. Well, you maligned his defense, but not yeah. like the. And I guess the on base percentage. Okay, I guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. I wish I wish he was better at hitting too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair. So that's yeah. Okay, fine. So you did malign him, but yeah, yes, absolutely. He has been he has been too maligned then generally. I will say because I think he he's almost a five win player. I mean, yes, the the shape of it may have been displeasing, but like it's still a pretty damn good player. He's that's a four point seven wins from your shortstop is not the problem ever that is true all right uh next one because this has been a bummer of an hour uh the biggest surprise in a positive way 
So, uh, Paul, what, what was your biggest positive surprise? Uh, by the way, it, so it probably is Renfro because I don't yeah. think much of him. He was, I think, their best pure offensive player, which is crap because he's not that good. By the way, he finished with a higher warp than Willie did, just for the record. Um, but he's the only <laughs> really? guy in the yeah, he did. I feel like he's the only guy in offense I could count on to not consistently suck. Like when he would come up, like whenever anybody was on base and there was less than two outs, if it wasn't Renfro coming up, I would just be like, oh, this sucks. This is going to be a double play. They're going to strike out twice in a row. Like he was the only guy who gave me any confidence at all. Plays plays a nifty outfield. Good arm. Uh, I will I will stand for Hunter Renfro here. Uh, and that is a good one. And he definitely was more than what I was expecting. Like he, he definitely proved me wrong this year because I was down on him and thought that it wasn't the greatest pickup and they were probably going to get a down year from what he did last year. And he improved on it. So I will, I will definitely take that. And oh yeah, the reason warp has the issue with Adamas and has Renfro ahead of him is warp hates Willie's defense, right? It's the one defensive metric that has him as being a bad defender. So I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, get a flip. I remember that being the case from your yeah. previous Willie. Sounds plausible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Jace Peterson here because Jace. Ugh, oh, boy. Oh, why? What? He, no, because it's because no. it's Jace Peterson. That's oh, all. no. I mean, like, he led the team in war like until he went on the IL, right? Yeah, he did. And like he was <laughs> he was doing really, really well. And I think the biggest factor was his defense at third base was jaw-dropping holy shit levels like it was he made some amazing plays over there and it shows up in his defensive metrics because his offense was actually not like even really as impressive as last year i don't think no, like, i said a 316 on base percentage so same as yep. it was kutch which <laughs> yeah i mean last year he had a 98 wrc plus this year he had a 96 so he actually was down a little bit on that but it really was the defense and you could see it 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 really was eye-popping late in the season you saw him make some amazing plays and it was like oh yeah that's right jace peterson before he got hurt this year and was in and out of the lineup a bunch was actually like a really amazing defender at third base and so he was a pleasant surprise for a good chunk of the season um on a team that was having trouble putting guys on the uh, war leaderboard very high. All right. Uh, next one. Biggest disappointment. Paul, what's yours and why is it Christian Yelich? It's Yelich. It's not even close. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know. Do we even have to discuss it? Yelich is supposed to be a superstar, a megastar. He's supposed to be the best player on the team. He's paid like it. Uh, the offense is sort of predicated on him being very good. And he's not. He, uh, he's, not a, he's not a crappy player. He could be worse. Um, he still gets on base okay, but he's just not very good, and he is not very good at defense. He is, uh, it, It's not great. It's not fun to watch either. Christian Yelich hitting is a painful experience. Um, so, yeah, it's him. He is, he is very, 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 very disappointing. Turning into $25 million John Jay is not fun. No, not great. Bad. Yeah, and looking forward, like if he does this for a few more years, it's going to be okay for a while because basically two point three uh, F war. So you know, like, what are we saying these days for of uh, the dollar per win value? It's about ten, ten million per win. Is what you're paying on the market? I think it's Something ten like or that. a little bit more even. Yeah, wars, all the wars kind of agree on him too. That. Uh, that 355 OBP goes a long way towards providing value, but still painful to watch somehow. Um, and I even like walks and still kind of suck to watch him. 
Yeah, I mean, and the the thing about him, it's more frightening for the future because if this is what he is at the first year of that contract, you've got seven more to go, and that's yeah, the, that's the, the spooky part of it is that he's just sort of barely, kind of keeping his head above water or like able to not drown <laughs> in terms of value from a dollar per war standpoint. And that probably isn't going to get better unless he does something to make himself better. And that's what is going to have to happen here. He did hint at that a little bit in the, the postseason press conference. I don't know what that's going to be, but they got to be he and they have to do something with him because yeah, that's, that's pretty big. Uh, I'm going to go with for biggest disappointment. I'm going to go with Freddie just because he was, <laughs> You know, in some ways, he was like even better. He was, he was on an inning per inning, out per out basis. Like Freddie was absolutely amazing last year, and the fact that he was hurt, that that injury is a shoulder injury, and that may, always makes you nervous that it's gonna like stick around and continue. Yeah, and that you you like he just wasn't as good either. All of that is is going to be tough, and because especially. In terms of disappointment, Freddie is the guy that they have locked up. So Freddie's the one, not Woodruff, not Burns, at least at this point, that they have locked up past 2024. So he's the one that they can keep around. And so having him and then Aaron Ashby also was the guy they locked in. And he starts having injury issues, though. His is elbow. Uh, not great. Like when, when it's the guys that you've locked into are the ones that start coming down hurt. That's when you start to get like, uh, the 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 queasiness starts to to creep in at that point because yeah, yeah yep. you're it's just you're you're it's like you're back in the wrong horse at that point and that's not great. Nope. Can I give a, an honorable mention to Andrew McCutcheon as well? Who sure wound up being first of all part of the reason he was disappointing is because he played so much. I, I think when we acquired him, it was as a you know spot DH and spot backup fielder who would pound opposite side pitching pretty well, and he was actually not completely awful against lefties, but. He ended up playing, the, getting the fourth most at bats on the team. Uh, he, he had about three quarters of his uh, plate appearances against right-handed pitching, and was just abysmal at the plate. Um, so uh, he's a good clubhouse guy. Uh, I love Andrew McCutcheon for his previous work when he was an MVP caliber player, but uh, that was too many at bats of very, very poor performance that should not have happened. I blame Mark Adonacio for that one. One of the many things that the Adonases have screwed up in the last year. So <laughs> there's that. All right. Uh, defensive player of the year. Let's wrap up with that. Paul, this will be a fun challenge for you. <laughs> uh, they're all so bad. It's so hard to say. Um, defensive player of the year. It, uh, I hate going with Jace. I don't want to say Jace. Let's say <laughs> it. it uh, so annoying. Probably, it, I don't know. No, he sucks. <laughs> Uh, it's probably Jace. Um, yeah, it's hard to I go don't... with any. It's hard to go with anybody else. Like Yelich is bad. Uh, I, if I say Willie, I'm a hypocrite. Rowdy is a, <laughs> Rowdy is abysmal. Uh, McCutcheon is not a defensive player. Hunter Renfro is good at defense, but not that good at defense. Colton Wong sucked. Urias isn't bad. Not a that wouldn't be terrible. It's got to be Jace Peterson. There's just no other good option on here. Yeah, I mean like, it's you... it's Willie because. <laughs> <laughs> like looking at fan graphs, it's like uh -huh. almost a win and a half of defensive value at shortstop. So, and, and the other things all agree, except we, we've pointed out baseball prospectus has a completely different read on this than other uh, sites yep. do. So there's disagreements on this, but like I, Willie's pretty good. All right. One last Patreon, 
Patreon question comes from Jared Vogeltans this week set, saying, I want to thank you all for helping me enjoy this torturous season much more. <laughs> you pointed out early that baseball is not meant to be followed by living and dying with each pitch on TV. I ended up canceling cable and just enjoying Euchre and his understudies in the radio. And boy, was that better than watching on cable. Even when the game was bad, Euchre would spin a yarn and make me happy. That man is a treasure. So, yeah, if this w- if there were any season to follow my advice and uh, do not watch every game every night, this would probably be it, right, Paul? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I still usually put it on in the background every night. But uh, it's not a healthy way to do it up for 100%. And you should listen to the radio once in a while, too. Baseball was experienced through the radio primarily for most of its history, and in many ways, it's better that way. Uh, it still is to this day. So do that, too. I'm glad we could help you get through it, Jared. Yep, and uh, I will once again plug my method, which has come up very handy in the uh, last few days of watching postseason baseball on TV. Uh, just put music on when you've got the TV on. So yeah, you that's don't... a good way. Not yeah. Yeah, because you never listen to announcers, and I'm I'm coming around to that, and it, it makes my wife happy, and that's good. It allows me to have sports on and not have her complain about it, so that ends up being like a win-win for everybody. Yeah, most announcers are bad, and you don't need them. Uh, in football, I stopped listening to announcers because they were telling me things that were actively not true, uh, especially before everybody got really smart about like fourth down, going for it, and two-point conversions, and people would be saying like, oh, are they going to take the risk here? It just drive me crazy, so I stopped listening to them about that um and it, it it's made me a better person highly recommended announcers are bad <laughs> all right before we go one twitter question this week comes from sour apples at j bartholomew on twitter do you agree with the robert murray tweet if i ever had a player like josh Hader, i would simply not trade him ryan uh, <laughs> or paul who i can go, go first, first on this one yeah. and the answer is uh yeah i would not if I was the owner of a major league baseball team and I had a player like Josh Hader, I would not trade him because I would have a lot of money and I have, I would have different priorities than all of the other owners do, which would not preclude me from keeping um, very talented, but expensive players around and even taking chances on them, even if they were kind of washed up. So yes. Um, but that's also not how a lot of billionaires slash front offices operate. And uh, it's not how I operate or it's not how I don't have to operate like that on hypothetical. So, yeah, I'd keep him. Wait, you you've been talking. You were the one saying that they would and should trade her for years. Well, I wasn't saying I should trade him for years. I was saying they should trade him. I mean, part of this job is (laughs) part of this job is understanding the realistic financial situation and motivations that the team has going on around them and predicting and analyzing in that framework. But if. I'm simply given a billion dollars to own a baseball team. I'm not trading Josh Hader. I, I mean, I'm, I have a plaything that I have as a baseball team, and I care about winning championships, and I'll spend... Uh, I mean, I didn't even earn this billion dollars. It just apparently showed up one day, so <laughs> I'm just going to piss it away. I'm just getting like us a lot of billionaires. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. That's Okay, so that's fair. Uh, I was looking at this in a little bit different. Like, if I was a owner and i had a player like josh Hader before 1975 when the the you know uh players could become free agents then yeah i would just keep him you'd just keep him until he was bad and you would you would have him as a good reliever until he was no longer any good and that would be fine and you would be paying him you know whatever reduced salary that was but then 
players got the right to become free agents. So you had to start like allocating your money and saying, okay, well, where is value and where is not value? And I would never allocate a ton of value, especially long-term contract wise to a relief pitcher, especially one who throws one inning at a time and who has made it very clear. He doesn't want to do more than one inning at a time. So I would just never, that would never be a thing that I would pay a lot of money for that. I would give up a lot of uh, assets for it What would, about Mariano Rivera. That might be like the one exception because Mariano Rivera was great for 20 years and was legitimately like way better than, you know, basically anybody else. And he did it for like 20 years. That would be the, like the one exception. But so I like, guess I would say Hader's been sort of the closest thing to that for a small amount of time and is at least plausibly in that category. Is he? I think so. I mean, you watched him and you've seen like how when it doesn't work, guys tee off on him because he uh, like when he's not deceiving hitters, they're teeing off on him. And we've seen that. That wasn't just this year. We saw that in years past, and he usually got through it pretty quickly. But like we talked right at the trade deadline about how he's kind of like a one-trick sort of pitcher, and how long is the shelf life on that? Don't know how long the shelf life on it is, but he's been in the league since 2017, and he's got a 2.71 ERA for his career, and he's got a 2.73 FIP for his career, and he's got a whip under one, and that's all quite good. So, yeah, it it is to this point, and that's the question like going forward. So then the question would become like, would you have given him the market value contract that was going to be required uh, after this year? I mean, I have a billion dollars, so yes. No so problem. you would, so you would just give him the twenty million, or the the twenty million dollars a year or whatever that he was demanding, and run a $500 million payroll? Is that the that's the plan? Uh, something like a $220 million payroll, but yes. $220 million payroll, Josh Hader taking up that much of it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Push 250, whatever. I mean, yeah. I, like I mean, he, Hader is, uh, he's on the very end of the bell curve for, for reliever production. I'm not mm-hmm. throwing that at like rando 50 save guy. Um, you know, he, uh, He's one of the most elite closers of all time. So, yes, I'm fine doing that. It's not like I got to pay four of them. There's just him. Now, there is just him, but you, well, there isn't, though, because uh, somebody pointed this out, too. If you look at what uh, Devin Williams has been since he came up in 2020, he's yeah. actually been better than Hader. Yeah, but he punched a wall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is that. So, That's like, the punch a wall tax kind of knocks down his salary right? well then he had so, kind of a hissy fit about hater and uh yeah i got some problems with Devin as well yeah so i mean <laughs> the, i mean basically the thing here is with relief pitchers it all goes away so quickly they they really is it's very ephemeral for so many of them and it doesn't last and maybe it does with hater maybe but like you watch him you watch him even pitch in this postseason and it's like I, I I still I don't know how we talked about this so much in July, right? When he would come in and he like didn't throw a strike, but he got three outs, right? Like mm-hmm. we there were those games. I think it was against the Twins, right? Where uh, somebody went back and looked at it. I think Jay Google looked at it and said he literally didn't throw a strike, but he got three outs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 
I that to me just makes me extremely nervous because I've I've lived the Derek Turnbow experience. And you just wonder how if no. you're living on that edge, how how close are you to flipping off of that edge? If Hader was a fastball curveball pitcher, I would feel very similar about him as I did to Turnbow, but that's not what he is. No, he's a fastball slider pitcher. Yeah, which is fine. Oh. So the slider versus the curveball is the definitive thing? I mean, it's one of the reasons Turnbow wasn't as good. They don't tunnel as well. He had trouble locating it. He left that thing up all the time. I mean, he was not in the same boat. Um, yeah. But I like I like my, my uh, fireballing relief pitchers to have the slider as their secondary or primary pitch. That's better. Hmm. Well, the only thing I can think to do now is give Paul a billion dollars and see what happens. So <laughs> I think that's the only logical solution. <laughs> yes, I think it is. All right. Absolutely. That'll do it for questions this week. Apologies for the super long episode, but hey, we we didn't do one last week and we had a lot to get through. And as we said at the top, if we did not get to your Patreon question this week, do not worry. We will get to it on next week's episode. Already got a handful of them picked aside. Um, and you will also have an opportunity to ask new questions for next week's episode as well when you sign up to become my patron at patreon.com slash tailgate. And as a reminder, you also get a shout out here on the program when you become a patron. And boy, do we have a lot of new patrons to give thanks to this week, Ryan. Woo! Yeah, we do. Uh, starting, and I think we already mentioned it last week, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Derek Core. I'm not sure. It came in the day of the last episode that we did. So maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. I'm not sure. But uh, David Kaur, uh Samuel Gill, Gary uh, Weasling, uh, Ryan Ziegler. Thank you all About for time, Ryan. Also, hi. <laughs> ah, and uh, Joe Cool signed up at the uh, the $10 level. So that was that was uh, appreciated. Thank you, Joe Cool um, and uh, Scarf 21. These get these get funnier as we go. So Scarf Twenty One uh, joined up also, and then the aforementioned. <laughs> thanks, James. Uh, you're you're either you're either a smart fella or a fart smella. Um, so yes, thank you to all of those patrons for signing up. We very much appreciate it, and it uh, it does help us to do what we do. Absolutely, thank you so much. I I think I might like that username even more than Throb Zombie. So yeah. I don't know. It's a high high bar to clear, but it's pretty good. Uh, Just thank think, you so much, guys. If he hadn't asked the question this week, we would have been like, "Oh, that's definitely a football one." Yes. So, yeah. No. We, no. 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 I I learned my lesson. Yes. <laughs> I will not be prejudicial towards the football listeners. They are entirely uh, just as smart as the baseball listeners, and I should not make assumptions based on usernames. That's what we learned the other week. I think Flaley Joel Osment also was back or maybe changed their name or something. Something happened with Flaley Joel, too. So that was Hmm. that. I saw that pop up uh, this week in a notification, and now it it seems mysteriously gone. So I'm not quite sure what was going on there. But uh, also Flaley Joel. The, we, we always like having Flaley Joel Osment around, so that's fine. Yep, right. Yep. My one of my mute, recent favorites is the old guy on a bike. Yes. Um That that's a that's always a good bit. I, I like that. <laughs> he started his reporting his eligible question with "I'm just an old man in a bike," but <laughs> but and then the question. Mm-hmm. It, it, it it's a great format. I appreciate it greatly, uh, mm-hmm. and I appreciate all of our patrons greatly. So thanks for signing up. And before we go this week, we would also like you to uh, support us in a different way. Even if you're not a patron, you can go and leave a review and rating for this podcast over on Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, Paul will read literally anything.
anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. Now's a good time to rate. Season's over. Uh, so we, we just did this, uh, you know, postseason little recap thing. So good time to get over there, leave a review for this past year. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether it is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, this was a long one this week, but... Uh, We'll continue uh, to break down the the Brewer season next week with some postseason questions and, and see how the playoffs are shaking out and, and see if Josh Hader's going to the World Series. <laughs> um, so we'll cover all that and, and more next week here on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>